Hello again, everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers. Hopefully you can hear my background music. So I'm doing this inside today. We're going to talk about uh, Sam Bankman Fry, who I'm going to call a uh, CIA operative. <laughs> because it seems like his entire business model was uh, uh, based upon, well, screwing over people. And eventually he's going to bring in the regulation that everybody doesn't want. So we're going to get into his uh, backgrounds and dealings. And uh, we're going to talk about what I think uh, causes such uh, collapses of uh, financial uh, situations. And I think we can cut the music. So, okay. So we're going to start off with what I, I have a... Uh, uh, what I call uh, the five uh, uh, five steps of mat of uh, situations like these Ponzi schemes, and this is not from any uh, you know expertise, but uh, I think uh, most of us could agree to this is the way it works. So everything starts with a mass of new investors, okay, and the investors are usually and in the crypto space it would be they would be young. Considered, rel considered relatively unsophisticated in terms of their uh, uh, financial backgrounds and history. They're upset with the system or they're looking for new uh, means to get a return on investment, whatever those investments happen to be, because um, that's very important to them. Next, uh, we have a massive marketing. Um, this is to legitimize the company on the main screen so in this case you know he had did commercials with uh, brady shaquille o'neal was pushing this uh, steph curry was pushing this he appears with clinton uh tony blair he was uh originally he was on the world economic forums uh page for partnerships just so you know they didn't bet him either which they didn't have to. All it is is just a buy-in. The people that are listed as partners there, of course, ideologically, they're they're on the same page, but uh, they expect uh, people who want to become partners to pony up a certain amount of money. So, yeah, Klaus Schwab is cared, cares about money. He wants you to own nothing, but he wants to own everything. Just that's the way it is. So then you have a massive media, which we'll get into here in a second, uh, but when I'm at a corporate media like uh, Bloomberg, CNBC, uh, Fortune, uh, he was on the cover of magazine in September. They, you know, they had him as listed as the next Warren Buffett, or you, we will hear here in a second. You know how CNBC hustled their audience, their touts. They're just touting this uh, thing. And let's not get it wrong. When you hear about an exchange, you're dealing with uh, a piece of a banking operation, but uh, Bankman here, he created exactly what a bank is. He, uh, well, he took assets of the client. He took in assets of uh, clients, customers, investors, because that's what you are. You're investing. Took in that uh, money and resource. He made uh, incredible promises, all this other kind of stuff. He said arbitrage and all this kind of stuff, but it was never 
it was um, never about keeping value for the customer. It was about creating uh, corporate hustles. So it's a corrupt bank, obviously. And, you know, that's why it failed. And then you get into, like I said, a massive propaganda, effective altruism. That's the propaganda pitch that he was using. And some of his tweets are just uh, stunning. And he comes out and says, it's all bullshit. You know, I lied. Basically, you know, he, he was having these uh, messages with people. And it, it will, we're going to get into some of his investments because uh, he created this foundation. It's quite amazing. This guy started this thing ostensibly in April of 2019. And here we are, November of 2022. So you talk about a meteoric rise and fall. But this was an inside job. I mean, this guy is a, um, he was meant to come in and destroy the crypto uh, exchange because uh, the banking sector is looking to bring in, see, uh, uh, central bank digital currency. And they want to show how unregulated, decentralized markets such as crypto don't work. Well, they can work, but it's all, everything is based upon uh, understanding risk. Uh, value and realizing that uh, if you're if you're going to use it as a medium of exchange, in other words, actually, you're using it as a way that both people, both parties, have faith in the 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 particular uh, uh, value that's generated from whatever cryptocurrency is supposed to be. I'm not a crypto expert, the mining and all this stuff. This is just another uh, tool and instrument uh, to uh, create. Uh, value on this planet and value is basically in the eye of the beholder but you both have both parties have to have confidence that there's some value that we that, but this has gone on before and uh, again with the tulip craze and everything mankind there's always someone who wants to become this innovator but that's usually the same hustle over and over and over again that's positive to all of us who is some kind of uh uh, new thing, uh, but it's just adapting what's already been in existence, uh, adding a little flavor to it, a new new uh, angle and pitch. But this one was meant to purposely hijack something that was already out there. Uh, I can remember back in 2012, I think it was Jamie Dimon, some other clowns were, uh, you know, they were poo-pooing crypto. But the banks and others have actually got involved in this. Sequoia Capital got involved in the, this particular Bankman Fried uh, hustle. Um, I could actually pull up uh, uh, other videos here, but we're gonna we're going go on from here. And then, of course, there's a mass of malfeasance. So you notice I have the the rhyming there, mass. The malfeasance here is you know they were involved in sexual deviancy orgies on the Bahamas. They all moved down to the Bahamas. This whole clique of uh, 20-something unsophisticated uh, fly by the shit. They did all their transactions and did all their uh, communications by apps and direct messaging. There's nothing. Uh, we're, we'll get into that further, but yeah. And they ran it offshore in the Bahamas. Everything's done and by a fly-by-night, uh, easy-to-close-up shop. And uh, like I said, there's a whole host of things here. We can go into, but those are the five things that kind of go along with these kind of uh, situations. At least this is my short list of ways to look at this situation. So, 
Okay, on to the next part of this. So while we're at it, we'll we'll start with a CNBC. Uh, it's about a five-minute clip here. Uh, uh, led off by Andrew Ross Sorkin. I gotta make sure this mic picks up uh picks up what he what he's saying here. So hold on a second. Let's talk about what's going on. Sandman went free, free in just the past five years. Sam Bankman went free and went from buying his first Bitcoin to become a, becoming a multi-billionaire. The FTX founder is now worth an estimated $11 billion. He could block that Jordan jersey if he wanted to. His exchange is now worth $32 billion, and it brought in about a billion dollars in revenue just last year. CBC's Kate Rooney has more on the CEO's rise to the top of the crypto industry. They call him the JP Morgan of crypto, right? Yeah. The Michael Jordan of crypto, if you will. <laughs> uh, Sam Bankman-Fried has really played a key role in the uh, crypto industries. Um, just the role in the industry this year in general, Andrew, he spent hundreds of millions of dollars to bail out struggling companies facing bankruptcy and liquidity issues, you name it. The CEO, though, lives a really understated life for a billionaire. He drives a Toyota Corolla to FTX's offices in the Bahamas. He lives with 10 roommates and a golden noodle named Gopher sometimes sleeps under a, uh, his desk on a beanbag chair as well. I sat down with Bankman Fried outside FTX's headquarters to talk about his role as the industry's lender of last resort. We only had a few days to make some of these decisions. What we basically came to believe was the following. The first was that, if possible, it would be extremely valuable to the ecosystem to backstop some of these places. First of all, it's just backstopping customers and making sure they're protected. But second of all, stopping contagion from spreading through the ecosystem, right? Stopping it from being the case that anyone who transitively did business with any chain of people who did business with one of the troubled assets themselves became troubled. And then the secondary goal um, was maybe there are good trades to do. Maybe there's an investment or acquisition that can be done at, you know, terms that we'd be excited about given the sort of need for capital right now. But that was usually not the standard we were able to hold ourselves to. You know, in practice, the standard was, do we feel okay about this from a financial perspective? Like, does this look at least mediocre? Like, like not a huge loss in expectation, maybe gain in expectation, hopefully, maybe not, was sort of the bar that something had to cross in order for us to feel comfortable, uh, you know, intervening there. And, and often we just weren't sure. Like, you look at a lot of these cases, you know, they had four days before they're going to file bankruptcy. And so we had four days to do all the diligence we could on the company, learn everything about it, understand the industry, their business, their customers, understand how we thought things were going to unfold, and then make a judgment call and wire money. I think the, the Voyager case is sort of an interesting one there. What we ended up doing was extending a sort of two-piece line of credit. And the first was with 70 million. And that, that 70 million was money they could just draw on immediately, no strings attached. and we knew we might lose that. Then there's a, a larger line of credit, which would eventually have potentially plugged our best guess at the time as to what the, the complete hole was, um, but which had conditions on it. If there's just an immediate run on the bank here and the business is just going belly up and there's nothing we can do to actually save this, like we don't want to just keep going through it. We very well may lose that, that 70 million. I, I don't know if we're seeing it again. And so be it, like we, we understood that risk going in. Do you still have enough cash if you needed to do another bailout? Yeah, yeah, we did. And we, we try to keep that on hand. Like, we try not to empty the coffers, so to speak. We had a couple billion going into the into this. And, uh, you know, it lines up roughly with the amount that we've raised, you know, over the last uh, last year. And 
you know, on top of that, we've been profitable. So billion-ish to deploy? Yeah, and, and again, you get definitional issues here of how much do we really feel comfortable deploying? I was saying that there's another ballpark billion, you know, that that is sort of, you know, completely unencumbered. Certainly will get you within, you know, within a factor of two, certainly, of the right answer. You said FTX has a responsibility to seriously consider stepping into the time to save companies. Why did you have that sense of responsibility? It's not going to be good for anyone long-term if we have real pain, if we have like real blowouts and, uh, and it's not fair to customers and uh, it's not going to be good for regulation. It, like, it's not going to be good for anything. And, and so from a longer term perspective, it's just, that was what was important for, for the ecosystem is what was important for customers. And it was what was important for people to be able to operate in the ecosystem without being terrified that unknown unknowns were going to blow them up somehow. It's too soon to tell, of course, if these crypto bets will pay off. Time will tell. But Bankman Freed has continued that spending spree most recently with Skybridge Capital. As far as how they're able to afford all of this, Bankman Freed says FTX is profitable, has kept costs low with about a tenth the amount of employees as some other exchanges, and the company has raised about $2 billion in venture capital money. For that full 90-minute interview, head over to CNBC Pro on CNBC.com. So... Sorry, I'm moving my mic around. It's on a, not on a swivel. So there you go. There's the man himself uh, speaking for himself. Quite interesting. This was, uh, let's see, this was done. Let's see, I got to look here real quick. September 16th to 2022. He, he, he's basically talking all this uh, smack of, he's lying through his teeth the whole time. The idea is, is they were looking for a new, you know, new partners, uh, new people to infect, use their capital. These people were just, I mean, uh, matter of fact, let's go to uh, uh, the Zero Hedge article. All these articles and uh, sources will be cited in the description here so you can follow up on them yourself. So this was actually, uh, they got turned over to John Ray III, who uh, who uh, was made the interim, I guess you could say, the new FTX uh, CEO because uh, Bankman Freed stepped down when they filed bankruptcy. And this is a, this this is a, the workout guy, the workout program guy. He's oversaw the unwinding and liquidation of Enron. And he said, he, point blank, according to this uh, quote, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. There you go. So uh, this guy, I mean, <laughs> and someone who's oversaw something, I mean, uh, this was beyond even his uh, his uh, comprehension. And then there's just a whole bunch of uh, uh, things that go on here. He says here, how do we know it's fraud? As Ray writes on page 24, although the investigation has only just begun, it must run its course, is my view based on the information obtained to date, quote, that many of the employees of, of the FTX group, including some of its senior executives, were not aware of the shortfalls or potentially a potential commingling of digital assets. Many, uh, unquote, many maybe not, but some, as certainly SBF himself did. And then uh, he just goes through, I mean, there's just so much to read through. It's just like I'm. He, he, he just they've uh, they're just trying to map out what's going on with, inside this things because 
Uh, there's just a host of things. There's uh, different uh, silos. They got a group called uh, Debtor West Realm Shires Incorporated, Debtor Alameda Research LLC, and its debtor subsidiaries known as the Alameda Silo. Alameda was one that uh, did a lot of, uh, kicked off a lot of this stuff. Then there's a debtor Clifton Bay Investments LLC, debtor FTX Trading LL uh, Limited, and its debtor and non-debtor subsidiaries. They called it the dot-com silo. So yes, there's just they're just trying to first get a grasp and comprehension of how much infect how much the infect uh, infection is. There's quite a bit. So this had me. Uh, uh, here's another interesting thing. Um, this ties back to my uh, recent post on uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the um, uh, Democratic uh, Democrat uh, Super PAC that was ran uh, that got twenty eight million dollars from uh, Sam Bankman Fried and his other uh, co uh, partner. Uh, what's his name? I gotta get to that one real quick. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Nishad Singh. So, uh, he was the director of engineering of, at FTX. Uh, he did a, he did a million and, uh, Sam did 27 and they ran this through, uh, a pack in Arizona, which then funded 16 election, uh, outlets or 16 election campaigns, uh, um, ostensibly and by fund, they created all they did was fund adding ads, so they were, you know, buying advertisement. I haven't gone through all their FEC documentation. I just mainly just figured out how many races they were involved with. Uh, they were using certain outlets to pay for ad buys in certain markets, obviously related to the election, which is quite interesting. No direct funding, so. It kind of tells you, you know, how they operate, how uh, political campaigns are operating, and obviously what they're, uh, the messaging and what they're buying. It will, I'm, I might dig further and start uh, uh, unwinding that particular, who are the companies out there that are creating these advertisements, uh, how much they're getting paid, who they're operated by, uh, because that's, you know, so the money flows in from a Las Vegas, uh, and I'm getting off on a tangent here, from a Las Vegas uh, uh, account. It was a trust, is a, a specific trust LLC that comes into this uh, de democ uh, democratic, uh, was it uh, Save Our Future or something future? I, believe me, the names after a while, they all run together. I'm going to be the first to admit that. That's the reason why when you write these articles up, that you have to remind yourself I'm more worried about the mechanism than I am about all the names sometimes. And the names can come together because, you know, the, the purpose of these whole, all these hustles is to make them so complex. You can tell an operation is being run, um, I will say, illegally, but uh, let's just say immorally. By the number of steps and the lack of directness and the amount of, uh, uh, and, and of course I'll say, well, I'm, you know, we're just taking advantage of taxation codes and all this other shit. Now, if you want some, everything should be relatively simple. And they also should be separate. 
So if you're offering, you know, open an LLC, open another LLC, there's not supposed to be this uh, uh, co-mingling or the transaction should be very apparent in how you're doing them and they should be uh, done with, you know, that's the whole point of regulatory controls. Uh, most people are, some people are bad about this. Some things don't take off, but when you're dealing with somebody like this who sent, you know, if I had $28 million coming into my pack, it seems to, I mean, and of course they report everything. I, I'm not accusing this person of anything and I, I, I do know their name, uh, looked into her background, but this is where I, I'm going with this. So uh, a guy on uh, YouTube actually pulled up this uh, article by Coindesk. The reason why Coindesk is important is because uh, this uh, particular pack was uh was getting followed by uh, the a guy named Jess Hamilton who works at CoinDesk, who was a uh, very uh, well they were involved in the monitoring of Bankman Fried and the elections, and yet they just he just recently wrote an article. This was right after his, the bankruptcy and tied to the election, and wouldn't point out exactly. He buried the lead. He put. He didn't put any, let's just say, details into the amount of money that was transferred. He mentioned the tra man, money transfer, but he forgot to name the pack. Name the pack, but he didn't go into any details. And he didn't put any links in. And this is another problem with reporting nowadays. Uh, these uh, people, uh, when you're doing reporting, you should provide, especially when it's a big detail provide that link so that somebody can trace back what you're talking about. And then that way they can vet themselves what you're saying. If you start looking at the, anytime you look at a New York times article or any of these other th outlets, if they're not providing that uh, link back, it's one thing if you're doing a live stream or something like that, which is interesting because they bring up the uh, salty here brings up the, uh, the article itself, and it's written by a different person, but it's the same outlet. And the guy I'm talking about is a editor, uh, like a senior principal editor, and he's all for regulation. And this is what I'm getting with uh, Sam Bankman, the financial operative. He was uh, he was just supposed to show you how how easy it is to take down an industry, and it just should should be noted that Sam's uh, parents, both of them, are. Stanford law professors and one of them is a supposedly an expert in taxation policy. They could have very easily, uh, as a matter of fact, his father is a lawyer. I guess he was evidently uh, advising, maybe tangentially. I don't know, but that his name has come up in the the filing of this bankruptcy. It is very, uh, this is very telling that this uh, MIT graduate who you wouldn't, by looking at him, wouldn't throw him five bucks. Just so happens to be the son of two law professors. And yet, we're finding out that this is the largest uh, Ponzi scheme uh, done with no corporate governance controls, anything you would expect of any other person. And this guy was on CNBC. I mean, I can never sit down on CNBC and talk about anything that they would want me to talk about because that isn't the whole point of corporate media. Corporate media is there to hustle and con you into doing whatever it is that uh, their uh, 
superiors want. So we're going to let Salty do some talking here. Don't mind the mic base. I'm going to shift the angle here. So A lot of ins and outs and weeds going on. Andy, brother, again, thank you. Andy from Rogue Digital on the ground with Porta in Arizona. Um, FTX is a crypto exchange that was a Democrat slush fund. That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. And they utilized this crypto exchange to take money from the federal government to write a check. They sent all of this money to Ukraine and some other places, but Ukraine's the big one because this, this answers all of the questions. This is why they don't want an audit of Ukraine money. This is why both sides are fine with sending money to Ukraine. And we've been right 100%. We've been saying it's, a money, it's clearly a money laundering scam. So this one crypto, it's just one. What, how, God knows how many utilize this, but this crypto exchange, FTX over here, the government sends billions, of, they want another $39 billion to send to Ukraine. Joe Biden just asked for it today as he fucking trips upwards into whatever the hell he's in Bali or some shit like this. Then once, once some of this money makes it to Ukraine, because a lot of it gets stolen before it even gets to Ukraine, but when some of that money makes it to Ukraine, they then turn it into crypto through FTX, and then FTX takes that money and dumps it back into the Democrats. The fucking dude running the scam was the second largest donator to the Democrats. The first one, the first one's George Soros. So I mean, holy shit. This 29-year-old dipshit fucking a chick who looks like titty pussy is the <laughs> second largest donator to the Democrats, and his entire FTX has imploded, fallen in on itself, and everybody now sees that as a scam. And one of the um one of the, they've got these different investment arms that they have that are it's collapsing right now. One of them was called Trump Lose. Trump Lose token isn't proof of an FTX Democrat Ukraine conspiracy. Well, you writing an article like this is how I know that the Democrat Ukraine FTX conspiracy exists. No, no, no. It's just it's just a 29-year-old dipshit kid who accidentally billionaired and then ran a crypto fucking scam where he becomes the second largest donator to to one one party. And everybody involved just happens to be on the same fucking side. You can't make again, again, if you're buying any of this at face value. It's because you're a low-scope, low-rent moron. But uh, here you go. <laughs> this is uh, this is absolutely insane. We are getting really crazy reports. So here is here is the uh, CEO of this. Sam Bankman. He's sending money over, and he's protected by Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC. So the SEC is the one supposed to be monitoring. The SEC is supposed to be looking for the. So uh, I'll jump in here. Not that. Salty can't do it better than explain it well enough. But uh, so Gary Gensler is the head uh, head of the SEC. He was a former professor at MIT, where Sam Bankman Fried was also an MIT graduate. So he knows Glenn Ellison, who's a professor of economics at MIT, former boss of uh, Gary Gensler. So he actually was uh, when they were at MIT. Uh, he was his actual, you know, department head. Well, it just so turns out that uh, Gary, uh, Glenn Ellison, his uh, daughter is Caroline Ellison, who is the CEO of Alameda 
uh, what do you call it, CEO of Alameda, which is tied to Sam Bankman, and it also is a dated, quote, dated. Um, they they call it some polygon, or I don't know what the hell it's called. It's a polyamorous relationship that they were having. Like I said, that's the fifth step of, or the fifth uh, tell on these uh, type of things, the mass of malfeasance or amorality or however you want to present that. I call it malfeasance because, you know, in a department, let's just say this, if you're running a company and it's one thing for your employees to get to know each other, you know, obviously there can be uh, romance in the office. I'm not saying it's a total, but it's usually frowned upon. It's certainly a frowned upon if, uh, let's just say this, if the work isn't getting done and you're doing all this other stuff, yeah, that's a problem. And I guarantee, and and if you've seen some, uh, there's an interview where uh, Bankman was on, actually on uh, Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. And the amount of shakes this guy has, I don't know what he's on, but he was rattling, he was moving so much in his chair, either due to, either due to some substance he's on, or, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, tick mechanism. But I just saw him do an interview with CNBC and he was, uh, let's just say, calmer. <laughs> For him, that's a different take, but nevertheless. So that just wanted to explain the, the visual that he's talking about here. I'll let him talk a little bit more and then we'll move on. For the Ponzi schemes, that's like their one job. So he's working with Glenn Ellison. He is the uh, former... Uh, boss to Gary and Gensler over here and uh, this chick over here that's the titty pussy chick and she runs the side scam so there's another company so FTX is this dude over here he's running the the billions of dollars through that and they're laundering it through multiple things one of the things he's laundering it through is this other company called Alameda that his girlfriend runs and now we now we're finding out that okay Fun fact, the CEO of FTX is the daughter of the chairman of the SEC, former boss, not the current uh, uh, boss of the SEC, but the former one. That's a little update. needs to be fixed. But now you're finding out the director of the SEC's enforcement division is Melissa Hodgman, the wife of former FBI agent Peter Strzok. Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> We bring all the criminal. We bring all the criminals in on this, huh? That's that's that, that's that's weird. You're telling me the assistant director to the FBI, who's got text messages with some other fugly chick he's banging at the FBI, <laughs> while he's cheating on his wife, who is running the enforcement division of the SEC, are all involved in this crypto exchange that is laundering money. And then donated it right back into the Democrats. And they've got tokens called Trump lose, Trump lose tokens. Trump lose was part of FTX prediction market where DGENs made big bucks betting on or against Trump or Biden 2020 election. Again, all of this is more than just Democrats and Republicans. Here is Bitch McConnell getting money from, you got it. Mitch McConnell busted taking Zelensky's stolen FTX money according to new FEC docs. Wow. Wow, none of these people are being investigated. The uh, the kid who was running this entire scam, 
You've got a billion, it's billions of dollars worth of crypto. It's imploding the entire crypto market. You're talking about Lehman Brothers sized investments being fucking nuked right now. It's a chain reaction because they're all intertwined. One fucking dipshit kid is destroying the entire crypto market and nobody saw this? Of course they saw it. They're all fucking in bed together. They're all in bed together. The whole the whole apparatus. There is no such thing as government regulators. The SEC isn't out there regulating the Bernie Madoffs. They're not regulating the Jeffrey Epsteins. They're not regulating the uh, the Bankman Frieds over here. They're protecting them. That's a protection racket. They all. Yeah. FYI, uh, Bernie Madoff also ran an exchange. Uh, I think it was a new. <laughs> he was a he was a former head. I'd have to go look it up real quick. Thought it was either the Nasdaq, might have been the New York Stock Exchange. Just so you know, uh, and then providing you know uh, great uh, financial device, uh, advice to uh, I think uh, one of his uh, major uh, one of the major people he scammed was uh, Fred Wilpon, who used to be the owner of the New York Mets. I mean. Uh, people like uh, Bankman Fry. I mean, uh, they really don't. I mean, psychopaths don't care about who they, you know, con or hurt or whatever. And I'm sure the uh, certain people like uh, Will Pond uh, got his got, got his get back on this. So it gets better though, <laughs> or worse depending upon how you look at. It. So Sam Bankman, uh, there's headlines. They're they're running. Co- I mean, the mainstream media is just they're just garbage. We all know that. So uh, there was this article that uh, Wall Street Silver posted. Uh, uh, it was by Peter Ty Larson, and he had the headline: "Sam Bankman Fried did financial system a favor." Oh yes, that's that's exactly what he did. And uh, there's a <laughs> so the Securities Commissions, the Security uh, Commission of the Bahamas. And they wrote. They uh, actually put out a tweet. They're they're not blue checked, so. Uh, take that for what you will. So they uh, assume uh, control of the assets of FTX's Digital Markets uh, Limited. So they wrote a letter on uh, the 17th and it says the Security Commissions of the Bahamas in exercise of its powers as regulator acting under the authority of, uh, authority of an order made by the Supreme Court of the Bahamas took the action directing the transfer of all digital assets of FTX Digital Markets Limited, FDM, to a digital wallet controlled by the Commission for safekeeping. Oh yes, safekeeping. Urgent interim regulatory action was necessary to protect the interests of clients and creditors of FDM. Notice that FDM. This is about FDM. Because the next line goes goes into this or goes into this. Under the Digital Assets and Registrations Ex- Exchange Act of 2020, they call it DARE. The commission has the authority to apply for a judicial order to protect the interests of the clients or customers of its registrant of commission under the DARE Act. It is not the understanding of the commission that FDM is a party to the U.S. Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceeding. Let me go over that again. Not the understanding. So they seize the assets, but it gets better. <laughs> uh, as it turns out, it, it appears that uh the, the, the Bahamas people, uh, 
it was a report earlier that uh, they had suggested to uh, Bankman. Let me see, where is it? <laughs> and then uh, Wall Street Silver po- uh, post a picture of the newly appointed chairman of the, the Securities Commission of the Bahamas. And it shows uh, uh, Bankman there. There was a uh, there was a report earlier. Oh, it was, yeah, he's got it here. Uh, so let me see. Uh, okay, there it is. The government, uh, the government of the Bahamas might have taken all the assets uh, that weekend. So that was the weekend after the filing, after the bankruptcy was filed. Uh, this was Wall Street. So, uh, so this was this was CNBC again. Rohan Goswami. So this was published on November seventeenth. FTX in a bombshell emergency court filing said evidence suggests that Bahama regulators directed. Former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried to gain unauthorized access to FTX systems to obtain digital assets belonging to the company after it had filed for bankruptcy protection. The filing said that Bankman-Fried transferred those assets to the custody of the Bahama uh, Bahama government, which is where he's at. Quite uh, quite telling that directed and then he goes off to the Bahamas it's quite interesting because it seems to me like the Bahamas are using this as a cudgel. And of course, hmm, I don't think, that, you know, obviously they can't get away with this, but yet they're going to. And then the third bullet point was the accusations are made by FTX in a motion in the U.S. bankruptcy court in Delaware. In that motion, FTX said the alleged conduct puts in serious question a request by the Bahama regulators for recognition as liquidators in the bankruptcy. So, this is what's going on. They're fighting over the last crumbs of uh, this uh, this dumpster fire that is uh, this uh, situation. So, what else is uh, I can go over here real quick? So, one of the things that this guy did was he created this uh, future fund, and as of September first, they said that they have committed over one hundred sixty million dollars. I'm just curious. Uh, there's this whole list of companies and or and or people that were um, incentivized money was sent to them including the bahamas there's a charity that was sent through the ftx foundation that was located in the bahamas got like a quarter billion dollars or quarter billion quarter million sorry let me reiterate quarter million of uh money but when we're talking about this guy millions billions it doesn't really matter it's all just money so uh, I'll name a couple of these. Com- uh, Secure Bio got 1.2 million. Uh, this is tired. Uh, they hired a uh, Dr. Kevin Esfelt, pandemics prevention work. So they want to implement universal DNA synthesis screening. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Build a reliable early warning system. Of course, you know 1.2 million dollars. They'll just get right on that. But uh, you know. I don't know, you can probably buy, you know, six scientists for a year. I mean, assuming 200, 200K goes as far as you uh, uh, want it to go. Of course, you know, we're talking about implements. So, of course, you know, uh, a sequencer, who knows how much that costs or what all, all this other shit is. So, anyway, going on, Institute for Progress, of course, $480,000, a grant to support the Institute's research and policy engagement work. It's always about, you know, creating these like little institutes and uh, lobbying firms and it's Washington. 
in a nutshell. Another one, $10 million to Helix Nano. We recommend an investment to support Helix, uh, Helix Nano running preclinical and phase one trials of a pan-variant COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> See what the, and of course, bank models. So this is the hustle. Uh, money gets filtered through to all, I mean, uh, money. Uh, the crypto. So this is what Crypto Bro did with lots of money. He took money from clients and he shifted it over into these uh, things. But of course, now all the clients are, you know, shit out of luck. But don't worry. Uh, I'm sure Helix Nano is going to come right off that $10, $10 million grant that they got. Or not grant, uh, uh, injection of capital. Uh, you know, so this is what happened to your money if you're an investor in this 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 guy's crypto exchange. Uh, and of course, the Democratic Party got, you know, $28 million directly into uh, one pack alone that went out to uh, provide ad, buy, uh, ad buys for 16 campaigns across the country. Was it uh, Illinois, Kentucky, Florida, Ohio, Michigan? I think I named off all the ones I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, so mainly Midwest and then, uh, Florida and Oregon was in there in California. Sorry. He also, the, so it was, it was all over the country, but, uh, certain races, certain districts, but it was, you know, 16 districts out of 435. So not insubstantial, uh, Khalil lab at Boston university. Uh, they did got one in $1.55 million worth to develop a cheap, scalable, and decentralized platform for rapid generation of disease neutralizing therapeutic antibodies. So I, I'd have to go look into that to see how that goes. Uh, let's see here. $1 million to a, uh, to a grant, uh, grant to non-trivial pursuits. So somebody put together a little name hustle and... They got a million dollars and they got a link to non-trivial.org. So if you want to go look that up, I'm not going to do that right now. So there's a whole bunch of foundations, our world and data. Our world and data is, uh, was, is basically uh, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And of course, he throws seven and a half million dollars towards it. So. Liberals funding liberals or lefties funding lefties, depending upon how you want to uh, label people. <clears throat> Global Priorities Institute got $1.25 million. Or, uh, let's see, who else? Long-Term Future Fund, $3.9 million. So, hmm, I wonder what Long-Term Future Fund. And it's labeled Effective Altruism. And I can keep on going down here. There's, I'm going to look at the bigger ones. Constellation, $3.9 million. We recommend a grant to support 18 months of operation for a long-termist co-working space in Berkeley. <laughs> Must be nice. And, and, and they got like two little, like these like little sub-starring. It says, Empowering Exceptional People, Effective Altruism. So we have to send $3.9 million dollars. Uh, to a grant to support a year and a half. So I wonder, 18 months, I mean, wow, 3.9 million. I wonder how many how many bodies are involved in this long-termist co-working space in Berkeley. 
So Berkeley, California really has to be supported by all the rest of us out here. Uh, you know, anybody who invested in this, you're investing in uh, these uh, champagne socialists to live the high life off your back. So quite entertaining that this is going on. Um, let's see, legal priorities project, $480,000. And I looked into this just for a little bit. So this will allow LPP to pay two new hires and put on a summer institute for non-U.S. law students in Oxford. Oh, yes. Oxford really needs, you know, more lawyers and need to make sure that they can pay these people. It's such hot garbage what these uh, this uh, money went into, uh, you know, and it's, you know, how this guy positions everything. The Atlas Fellowship, $5 million dollars. We recommended a grant to support scholarships for talented and promising high school students to use towards educational opportunities and enrolling in a summer program. Five, and then there's a website, atlasfellowship.org. I mean, anybody who is involved, anybody who received any money from this clown, uh, they should give it back. No matter how much it hurts their little hustle or uh, how many people are not helped by this, you stole money. You got money. You really, you're you're running your program with stolen money by a guy who ran the largest crypto hustle in uh, U.S. history, and it's going to cause all. Of, you know, this was all meant to do this to shut down crypto exchanges completely, uh, decentralized money, and then of course they're going to bring in, like I said, the the current uh, central bank digital currency, and they're going to squash out any effective uh at least online uh, exchange of uh bartering so we're gonna have to go back to a barter system to get around these people and people are going to have to be able to accept risk the whole problem with this banking situation is we've always gotten away from um asset-backed banking instead of fractional reserve banking which is just printing uh fiat currency and uh, only supporting a, a 10% or 100%. And people, there'll be people that'll say, well, you're just not understanding how currency... Oh, no. The problem is, is that uh, gold, uh, the amount of gold discoveries, and gold is usually the most prevalent and has been the most uh, uh, stable and understandably uh, most sought after uh, uh, store of value that people have let's just say, in, invested and understand and know from thousands of years of it being considered what it is, a valuable metal. Uh, and we could get in discussion about silver and other things, but the amount of discoveries per year is roughly an extra, is usually about 1%. And uh, of course, if you if you use that as a marker for growth in say in the money supply, if everything... If money supply is 100% backed by a, by a physical uh, commodity that we can all understand and understand its uh, usefulness uh, in terms of the world exchange, of course, then that's going to raise the value or our pricing system would have to substantially change. It, it's, uh, it's, it's just telling when people want to get off that and turn into this fiat currency. Fiat currency allows the your, quote, parasitic bettors to buy, to inflate assets and then buy 
buy them out from underneath people because the crashes is where they 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 like to create massive market fluctuations because then they can control the mechanism and they they uh they uh the people at the top have their minions keep track of opportunities to where they can step in and seize your assets because, you know, this is the way it's done. So until people learn that, uh, you know, the current banking system is completely fraudulent. So FTX is just a, a symptom. He's a symptom of this problem. He is not the cause of any of this. He's just a symptom and he's a tool. And then it's understandable why they uh, particularly put this guy out there. So I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, let's see. It's uh, getting time for me to move on to something else. And I thank you for listening.